many of the parents here experience uh, the mixed feelings of excitement and anxiety when they are sending their children to school, especially for the first time. On the first day of school, we can see the gates of school that are filled with parents and toddlers. Some of the toddlers are crying and some of the parents are excited about them. But one thing that will always be present on that kind of um, uh, event or that kind of happening is that parents would remind their children. They would always say, they would always remind them, don't forget your lunch or your snacks. Or if you want to go to the bathroom, just raise your hands and uh, say to the teacher, excuse me, please. Raise your hands if you have a question. Do not be shy. And the list of reminders never ends. And it is also true when our children go to college or university. Parents would be uh, reminding them to be in the good company, to keep in touch or not forget their meals, or to focus on studying. And if you are a Christian too, uh, you will remind your uh, children to go to a faithful local church and to be in the company of uh, believers. The main reason for this is not because parents are uh, not trusting their kids. Otherwise, why would they send them uh, to school alone by themselves? The main reason is because parents love their children. The love for their children makes them to remind them and desire for them what is good, hoping that they would live their student life happily, excitingly, and successfully. Well, in the same way that these parents remind their children, the letter of 2 John is a reminder for the church. The elder who wrote this letter reminds this church how Christians should live their lives in light of the truth and love. So let's read together 2 John 1-13. to The elder, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also who know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth in keeping with a command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but what we had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. 
Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and don't greet him. For the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greeting. Before we proceed with our sermon, I think it is good for us to know the context that is behind this letter. It will be helpful, I think, to understand what the elder means to say in his letter. So the, the first question here is, who is the elder who is writing to this church? Is he John, the apostle of Jesus Christ? Or is he another elder John in the church? Well, ancient manuscripts consistently identify this is a second letter of John. And because of the writing style, the position in the canon of the Bible, and the idea of the uh, theology in this letter, this letter is best viewed as written by the Apostle John. The next question, I think, is the use of the title, the elder, instead of saying his name, like what the Apostle Paul did in many of his epistles. Well, the most possible reason to this is that the letter demands a submission to the authority of the sender. Of the sender. For example, reading a letter from a friend and reading a letter from the general manager of your company would have different kind of perception. The letter from a friend would be appreciated in a more casual way, while the sealed letter from your boss would be received with careful attention to any special message or instruction. In the same way, the implication for the readers of Second John is to read it with high regard to what the sender has to say because of his authority. Third, we need to know the nature of the elect lady whom John wrote this letter. Some Christians believe that she is a person, but most of the churches and most of the studies believe her to be a congregation of believers. In other words, a, in other words, a local church. Also in this letter, John addressed her many times in the second person plural. The first one was addressed to a person, but the, the following verses, John addressed them like he's addressing many people. Also in this letter, we can find, or in the Bible, we can find that the church is referred to be the, the bride of Christ. The church is many times depicted as bride, especially in the book of Revelations. 
And so the elect lady in our study today, we would refer to her as a congregation of believers. Lastly, I think we need to know the significance of why John called her as elect lady instead of calling her the church. From the word elect itself, we can already know that she was selected by Christ in the same way that a husband would select a lady to be her wife. For example, from the many ladies that I knew in my single life, I chose Maricon to be my wife. In the same way, God chose her to be her bride from the many peoples in this world. And in this manner, John must be reminding this church about the kind of love, submission, and devotion that she must have to Christ Jesus as her husband. And as a local church here at Fujera, this is what I hope for us to pick up from this text. That our love and devotion to God must be seen in the kind of life that we live as those who have been chosen in Christ Jesus. That we walk in truth and in love. Words that are repeated in a Greek epistle in the Bible commonly reveals to us what the author tries to emphasize in his letter. In our text, these are the words truth, love, and joy, to which I divide our sermon to three points. And they are, number one, walking in truth, number two, walking in love, and the third, walking with joy or walking in joy. Walking in truth, walking in love, and walking in joy. And the main idea I hope you will see in this text is that Christian walk is a life lived in truth and in love for one another, desiring for one another's eternal joy. Christian walk is a life lived in truth and in love for one another, desiring for one another's eternal joy. So let's proceed to our first main point, walking in truth. From verse 1 to 4, John repeated the word truth five times in this letter. Look at a couple of them in verse 1. He said, To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. Not only I, but also who know the truth. Well, what, this is, what is this truth that John is talking about? And how did John describe walking in the truth? In this passage, we will see how John characterized the truth. Let's look on how John described the truth from verse 1 to verse 4. Look at verse 1. First, the truth can be known. The Apostle John said that aside from him, there were others also who know the truth. The truth can be known. Second, this truth has an eternal value. Look at verse 2. John said that this truth remains in them and will be with them forever. 
This truth has an eternal value. Third, in verse 3, we can read that God gives grace, mercy, and peace in truth and in love. Fourth, this truth did not came from John alone. It did not originate from humans, but originally from God Himself, from God the Father and His Son, the Son of the Father, Jesus Christ. So from verse 1 to 3 alone, it seems that John is trying to give us the characteristic of truth. And with the characteristic of truth, John reminds this church that it is delightful to walk in this truth. What could be this truth that in verse 4, John was very glad about when he found that some members of this local church are walking in the truth? John was very glad. What could be this truth that John warned them in verse 7 that against this truth, deceivers have gone into the world? And then in verse 8, John said that the children of this church may lose what John and others have worked for and that she might not have received God's reward if they will not be watchful among themselves. In other words, they should protect the truth within themselves. I mean, among the congregation. This truth, according to John, brings grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and God the Son to those whom God chooses to give it. This truth carries wonders, wonderful gifts from the Lord. Through this truth, the unmerited favor of God comes to us. Through this truth, God's mercy is revealed by revealed, revealed to His people. Through this truth is the peace of God that cancel or cease the enmity between God and man. And so this truth is valuable. This truth is of high significance in the life of the church. And John said in verse 7 that against the truth, the deceivers have gone, in, gone out into the world. And they will be known by this. They do not confess the coming of Jesus in the flesh. These deceivers can teach, but their teachings are false. And far from the true, true, true doctrine that brings grace, mercy, and peace of God. They are dangerous. They do not confess that God the Father has sent His only begotten Son to become human like us, to work the salvation of His people, to rescue them from sin and unrighteousness, and to transfer them from kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light to be a kingdom of holy people that glorifies God forever. This is the truth that the deceivers come to destroy. This is the truth that they do not confess. In other words, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 9, John says that anyone who does not remain in this teaching 
but goes beyond it, does not have God. But the one who remains in the truth of this gospel has both the Father and the Son. And so John gave the significance of this truth to this local church. They must protect the truth. They must live or walk in the truth. What does the Bible says about walking in truth of the gospel? I think for us to get the weight of John's message for this church, we can look at the examples of other Christians in the Bible who came to know and believe this truth and have shown how they walk their lives in the light of the truth of the gospel. Look at the example of the Apostle Paul. He tells Timothy, his disciple, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, that he has invested his whole life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Day in, day out, the mind of the Apostle Paul is no other than the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for which he was appointed as a herald, apostle, and teacher. And yet, because of this truth, he suffered severely. He was persecuted. But then notice what he said to Timothy. Paul said that he is not ashamed. He is persuaded that what was entrusted to him by Christ will be guarded until he receive his full reward from God. And then look back to John's writing to this charge. He is concerned that God's reward for them might not be lost. Instead, they should protect it. Then look at Acts chapter 7. When Stephen proclaimed, you know Stephen, when he proclaimed the truth of the gospel to the people, the people did not believe him. Instead, they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And while they were stoning Stephen, he prayed to God and asked God not to lay hold of his murder against them. Stephen is willing to give his life. He is willing even to forgive others because of the truth of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is the truth that John reminds the church to which he was very glad that some are walking to. To walk in this truth and not lose what they have worked for is what made John remind them to be watchful. Just like the parents that remind their children when they send them to school. John's love for this church is by emphasizing the importance of the truth of the gospel in their Christian walk. And that's why, brothers and sisters, while John is concerned for this local church to remain in the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the one who is mainly concerned that the truth be known to us today to set us free from the bondage of Satan's deception. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ must have the central stage in the life of the church so that what we have worked hard for 
would not be loose so that we may receive our full reward. The Apostle John said, even the Lord Jesus Christ said, that many deceivers will come and deceive, if possible, even the elect. Look how dangerous it is when we listen to these false teachers. These false teachers come to deceive. They do not confess the truth of the gospel. These false teachers hate the truth. What is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters, the truth of the gospel is that God is love, but is balanced with God is light. God is love, but is balanced with God is light. If God is light, He is morally pure, holy, and righteous. The righteous and holy God created man in His own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And he blessed them in his soul. All that he had made. And it was very good indeed. But man sinned and rebelled against the rule and reign of God. He disobeyed God's command. He disobeyed God's command and have desired to be outside of God's rule and reign. By deciding for himself what is good and evil. He he doesn't like the lordship of the Lord to him. Because God is righteous and holy, all unrighteousness and rebellion must be punished, and the wages of sin is death. But because of the rich love and mercy of God, he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that we cannot live and died the death that we deserve. He rose again and ascended on the right side of the Father. He is now seated on His throne, ruling over all creation, that those who would repent of their sin and believe in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would be forgiven and be granted a new and everlasting life to enjoy God once again. This is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the Apostle Paul is not ashamed of. This is the truth of the gospel that Stephen is willing to give his life for and forgive his murderers. This is the truth of the gospel that John reminds this church that they walk in the truth. And in light of this passage, we as a local church should also be reminded of the significance of this truth in the life of our church. Everything that we do in our normal Christian life should be arising from the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, what does this mean to us? This means that all of Christian life is lived because of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this way, we can become like Elder John, who genuinely loved this church in the truth. In the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are happy 
when our friends, when our family members, when some of our colleagues, when our bosses, even your enemies, we will be very glad like John when they turn to Christ because of the gospel. We will be like Paul. We will be like Stephen. We will be showing our Christian love in light of the truth of the gospel. We will hate the teachings that false teachers try to use to deceive brothers and sisters in the Lord. This means that we should be careful with the kind of teachings that we receive, that we watch on YouTube or we watch on online sites. This means that we will be watchful over our brothers and sisters. And we will see the importance of faithful Bible exposition in the teaching and preaching of the Word. We will see the importance of the exercise of church discipline for the sake of the soul of members who go astray. In light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we will value the importance of our church covenant that we have committed to one another, that we will fulfill to one another by the help of God. A covenant that is centered to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, that is why the gathering of a local church is fundamental to our normal Christian lives. We gather weekly to remind ourselves that we have received from God a new reality of life according to this gospel. That is why our fellowship and our discipleship are of most important. That is why we remind you every week that there are discipleships happening and we are encouraging you to attend to it. That is why we encourage you to use the library books to make yourself grow in the knowledge of Christ Jesus. To remind ourselves that we are pilgrims only in this sin-tainted world and that we await for the return of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we watch ourselves lest our hard work be in vain. And as a church, we do this for one another that we may receive our full reward. Brothers and sisters, this is the truth that is the foundation of Elder John and his brother's love to this elect lady and her children. Into which we now turn to our second point, the discussion of Christian love, walking in love. In the same way that John repeated the word truth, John also repeated the word love five times in this letter. And so, in the same way that he is emphasizing truth, John is also emphasizing love. John went further by describing how this looks like practical, practically in the Christian's daily life. In verse 4, John described this by telling us that walking in truth is in keeping with a command we have received from the Father. What is this command? John said in verse 5 that this command is not new, for they had it from the very beginning. 
The command is to love one another. In other words, Christian walk is not only consistent in walking in truth, but also walking in love. But then look at what John said in verse 6. John looked back and redefined love as following the commands of Christ. It looks like that John is going deeper to the foundation of the love of Christians. And then again, after that, John looked back even further and described that the commands of Christ is founded from the command that they received from the very start, which is the command of God to walk in love. What does John mean by this? In simple manner, this spiral cycle of command, love, Christ commands, love, means that Christians cannot love without looking, studying, and knowing the command of God from the very beginning, which is the command of God to love. What is this command that is from the very beginning? Look at Mark 12, chapter 12, verse 30 to 31. Jesus said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. The whole counsel of God is summed up in this. Let's study this word according to what the Lord Jesus said. First, to love God. What does it look like of loving God? If there would be a starting point to know what love is, it is to start with God. In fact, the love that we thought to be the reason why we choose God did not start from us. 1 John 4.11 says, Love consists in this, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sin. It is not us who choose to love God, brothers and sisters. It is God who chooses to love us. That's why Christians can now walk in this kind of love. To understand this, I would like to go back to what we shortly discussed in the beginning about the elect lady. John used this word precisely to describe what love a Christian walk should be walking in. In the beginning, God, the source of love, exhibited his love by providing humanity the perfect and beautiful world for us. He made the world attractive, that everything in it are lovable and attractive to human beings. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, was the first to experience this kind of love. Adam and Eve love one another. But ultimately, they are attracted to God, the most attractive and lovable person in their experience. However, our first parents, Adam and Eve, rejected that love. 
when they decided to reject God's word. To not eat of the knowledge, to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as a result, Adam and Eve's sin causes them to become alienated to the perfect source of love, whom is God. Sin killed humans' ability to love perfectly. Fear, shame, hate, murder became its replacement. That is why the perfect love that we think we know here on earth is a defiled kind of love. Right after their exile from the garden, Cain murdered Abel, the opposite of love. Our human love are consistent in this, the love of ourselves. There is nothing outside of ourselves that are more attractive and beautiful than our own self. But God continues to love the descendants of Adam and Eve. God promised them a seed that would crush the head of the serpent who deceived them. But it will cause the death of that seed. For only through the death of this seed can the wages of sin be paid. The Bible says that no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Friends! Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And by doing this, Jesus introduced to us once again this perfect love. John 17:26 says that the Lord Jesus had made known to us the Father. He prayed to the Father in this way. He said, "Father, so that the love that you have loved me may be in them, and I may be in them. The love that is existing between the Father and the Son, the Son and the Father, is now introduced to humanity. The Son introduces us to the love of God. In this way, we can again love one another. Jesus did not only introduce us to the love of God, He even restored our ability to love one another. For the effect of sin is not only to hate God, but to hate one another. Look in Genesis 3.12, how Adam shifted the blame of his sin to God and then to the woman. He said, the woman that you gave to me. It seems like he's blaming God and he's blaming the woman. Brothers and sisters, this is what Christ remedied for us on his work on the cross. Christ tore down the hostility between God and man, and man to other human beings. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2, 13, 14, and 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. He did this so that he might reconcile both God, both to God, in one body through the cross, which he put to the 
he, which he put the hostility to them. In other words, the enmity to God and the enmity to one another, Jesus removed it by his dying on the cross. Through his death, it resulted to the death of our enmity and war against God and against one another. We were not only reconciled to God, but we are also able to love God and love one another once again. And in light of this, Elder John is saying to this church that the Christian walk not only consists in truth, but also consists in the walk in love. To walk in love is to obey, to obey the commands of Christ, which basically points us back to the very first command of God, which is to love God and to love one another. Friends, brothers, and sisters, Christians cannot know the truth and yet be unloving. I will repeat that once again. Christians cannot know the truth and yet be unloving. In the same way, Christians cannot provide genuine love without knowing the truth of the gospel. Christians cannot provide genuine love without knowing the truth of the gospel. For the gospel of Jesus Christ made possible for us to walk in truth and in love once again. To love God and to love one another. Brothers and sisters, in light of this passage, how is our walk in love? When we confess that we believe the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is our love towards God a response of knowing the truth of the gospel that he loved us first? In light of this passage, we can now walk our normal Christian life in this world and exhibit the love that is coming from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The love that this world describes is a totally different kind of love from the love of God. We can now understand why God hates sin and must punish the wicked. For God is perfect, beautiful, marvelous, attractive, and human beings can be attracted to Him only without sin. He can experience the love of God only without sin. But with sin, humans are unable to experience the love of God. And that is why when Christians can love, when Christians are reading the Word of God, they can read a line that says, Love those who treat them as enemies. For we were enemies of God, but God loved us while we were yet His enemies. That is why the Bible teaches us to forgive others 70 times 7 times or even more. Because God did not treat us as our sin deserved. Brothers and sisters, is this the walk in love that you are walking right now? In light of this passage, we can now understand what the Bible really means when it says, God loves the poor and needy. For only those who acknowledge that they are poor in love 
and in need of God's forgiveness can experience the love of God through the good news of Jesus Christ, that Christ died for our sin. Elder John asked this church to love God and to love one another. In the same way, brothers and sisters, love God, love one another, walk in love. Elder John sent this letter of love, but John is not satisfied until he see them face to face. As much as he wanted to discuss all the things about truth and love in letter, John desires that this be experienced in a fellowship with one another that would result in a joy that is complete. And to this, we now turn to the discussion of Christian joy, which is to walk in joy, to walk in joy. The last thing I think that John gives emphasis in this letter is the gladness or joy that they will experience together when they fellowship with one another. A while ago, we read that John was very glad to know that some walk in truth. Now look at verse 12. John said, Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. John is seen to be saying that their walk in truth and in love should be something to be shared in person. John's point is this, that our growth in the knowledge of truth and our growth in the knowledge of love can be fully experienced in the context of our fellowship with one another. And brothers and sisters, this fellowship is a picture of our eternal fellowship with God. I want us to see that John desires a joy that is complete. Brothers and sisters, when we see Jesus Christ face to face, our joy will be complete. We will be, see, we will be receiving our full reward, just like what the Apostle John said in this church, and just like what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy. Though our fellowship here might not be so complete, brothers and sisters, be encouraged that it pictures a complete joy that is Sudokwang. Look at the last verse of our text. John also sends the greeting of the other local church that gather in another place. John reminds this church that aside from them, there are other churches around the world. And that one day there will be a greater gathering of believers when this elect lady will finally be wedded to her husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. People gathered from every nation and town will worship and love and enjoy the beauty of their Creator. John's desire for this local church is to walk with Him in truth, in love, and in joy that is complete. 
And in light of this passage, we now understand the meaning of our church gathering. Week after week, we gather and remember the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. We remind ourselves of the new covenant that God has given us through the blood of Jesus Christ. We gather together and picture to one another the future heavenly assembly of those whom Christ has shed his blood for to cleanse them from their sin. We now understand why it is important that in every gathering, we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We express our love for one another by pointing them to the love of Christ, by thinking of their eternal good. Brothers and sisters, the local church is the avenue of truth, love, and joy of the Lord. In the local church is where your knowledge of the truth and love will grow. In the local church is where we live and share the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And when we receive the truth and love that we learn from the local church, we now go into the world and share this love of Christ. We can now go inside our family and share this love to one another and teach our children on the knowledge of this truth and the knowledge of this love. We receive the truth and live the truth in our normal Christian lives, in our family, among our friends, in the neighborhood, in our workplace. We should live our Christian lives like this. Christians are those who live their lives according to the truth, love, and joy in the Lord. That is why a while ago we sing, Oh, how good it is to embrace His command, to prefer one another, forgive as He forgives. When we live as one, we all share in the love of the Son with the Father and the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, just like the parents who remind their children on the important things on their student life. Today, may I also remind you to walk in truth and love, aiming for the eternal joy of one another. And for you, my dear friends, who have heard the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time, I encourage you to believe in the message of God's salvation in Jesus Christ, where His love for us is fully revealed. Repent and believe. Let us all pray.